So just a heads up that full disclosure, certainly smoking marijuana will not protect you against COVID-19. So don't take this as any medical information. Uh, there's just some research that came out that's very intriguing. So regardless of your view of cannabis, whether you're pro or against it, the results are still intriguing. So just listen to this episode with an open Ooh, mind. Oh, I gotta go. I've been working, told them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day. Now my fan, they can't eat. Hey everyone, I can say with certainty today that becoming a nurse was one of the smartest decisions I've ever made. It's allowed me to help people directly and grow as a human being. But feeling certain wasn't always the case. I remember getting ready to graduate nursing school, feeling a lack of confidence of what I should do next and how to start my career. Today, there's the nurse residency program with HCA Healthcare. It's designed to help newly graduating nursing students succeed. And becoming a nurse resident with HCA Healthcare comes with a lot of great benefits, such as tuition reimbursement, student loan assistance, clear pathways to help you achieve your professional goals, and an access to company-wide clinical educational programs. If I could give my younger nurse-to-be self any advice, it would have been to apply to the nurse residency program at HCA Healthcare. They accept applications from nursing students who are preparing to graduate within the next six months, or graduate nursing students who have six months or less of experience when they apply. Learn more today at careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency, HCA Healthcare, and Equal Opportunity Employer. What's up, everybody? Welcome to an episode of Cup of News here at the Cup of Nurses with your hosts, Matt and myself, Peter. Make sure you guys check us on YouTube. All our videos are live on YouTube. Drop a comment. You get to see how we look. We get to see... You get to see our cool merch. Matt's wearing the Inhale Exhale shirt that's available on wearefrontlinewarriors.shop. Um, and I'm wearing the uh, nurse shirt that's available on a couple of nurses.shop. All our blogs, all our vlogs, everything that we do is on also um, located on couplenurses.com. And if you want to tune in something more mindfulness and wellness related, feel free to check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com as well. Make sure you guys give us a rating on Spotify. We're pushing for those. Make sure you drop a, a rating on Apple Podcasts as well. And you should also leave a review on, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, something that's been in the works, Pronto, P-R-N-T-O, uh, Pronto Health. It's something that we are working on as an app and a site to help revolutionize and innovate healthcare for healthcare professionals um, that tuning into housing, tuning into travel contracts, education, local positions, and we're just, we're just trying to make healthcare employment a little bit simpler and, and easier for everybody. Even for new grads, there's also some education resources because we know how of a struggle it could be <clears throat> landing a good unit or a good position or even a, a good contract. So we just want to put that out there for you guys and you guys feel feel free to check it out. It should be prontohealth.com and also prontoprnto.com as well. What's up, Matt? What's up, what's up? Thank you, everyone. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about cannabis, the taboo drug in healthcare. We're going to talk about a new study from the Oregon State University of its potential implications and the treatment of COVID-19. So just a heads up that full disclosure, certainly smoking marijuana will not protect you against COVID-19. So don't take this as any medical information. Uh, there's just some research that came out that's very intriguing. So regardless of your view of cannabis, whether you're pro or against it, the results are still intriguing. So just listen to, to this episode with an open mind. Yeah, and make sure you consult your doctor before starting to, um, to try out this, this marijuana. But goddamn, one thing missing right now is just a fat-ass joint, you know? Like back in the day, I mean, we're nurses now, so we can't smoke, obviously. Uh, we get drug tested, so unfortunately, uh, that's, that's out of our arsenal of, of tools and C-19 prevention. But, but back in the day, you know, we never really... <clears throat> marijuana was back in the day more of like a recreational drug, and now as it's been legalized, uh, states are obviously doing more research with it because legalization obviously opens up the doors to research because it's really hard to 
get funds from a gov- from the government, from the state, or from everywhere, anywhere really, if the if it's illegal. You can't really do experiments on illegal drugs if they're deemed illegal in your, in your state, and no one's going to give you funding for it because if it's federal illegal or state illegal, <clears throat> it doesn't matter because it technically it's deemed illegal, so no one's going to give you that money. So California legalized. There's a few other states that have legal marijuana, which have now opened the the doors for uh, for state funding. Federal-wise, it's still illegal, so you can't really get any kind of federal funding unless uh, there's probably a few loopholes that you could do if you're just like a big research agency. But as things come into fruition and cannabis use has definitely, I want to say, increased and research has definitely increased for it as well, we're seeing a lot of positive aspects of this. It's <clears throat> If you think about it, our forefathers and their forefathers before, you know, we, before this kind of society emerged, natural remedies were being used to treat different things. And marijuana, it's not synthetic. It's not something that's been created in, in a lab like a pharmaceutical pill or something like that. So it has some potential benefits because people have been using it in, in, in the past in rituals and illnesses. They've used marijuana for for paper before. They've used it as, as a cream. And it has a lot of lot of lot of potential. It's just still kind of a taboo kind of thing thing to do. And until it's legalized federally, we can't really do anything about it. And it's funny because with the guidelines, for example, what's happening in Cali is if you are positive for COVID, but you are asymptomatic, you could still show up to work. So literally, you can go to work and you could potentially infect other nurses, healthcare professionals, and your own family. <laughs> And they have the risk of dying, and that's completely legal according to guidelines. But if I hung hung out with Mary Jane and I smoked some the devil's lettuce two weeks ago, and I get drug tested, I'm gonna get fired for it, mm-hmm. and no one got hurt in that. Right, makes no sense, but that is a current broken system that we live in. It's super ass backwards because if you look at it like nurses, <clears throat> a lot of nurses they 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 drink a lot. I mean, they don't drink on a job obviously or, or before work or anything like that, but. But after work, a lot of times, you know, nurses nurses settle their stress, ease their stress. They they, they drink wine, they drink alcohol, like, like no big deal. But no, nobody really bats an eye. Look how many nurses and medical professionals are stealing opioids from the hospital. There's, an, you could say, like a miniature opioid pandemic going on within within healthcare as well, because people are, are stealing morphine, stealing Dilaudid, stealing all these these the opioid medications, and they're using them for for themselves recreationally. And as you know, opioids get out of your system fairly quickly. Alcohol gets out of your system quickly. So even if you drug test somebody for opioids, they use it a week ago, you're not really going to see in your system. But God forbid, you know, you go, you smoke a little bit of a joint, and then three, four weeks later, you still test po- test positive. You know, you're fired. You're out of, you're out of a license. You're federally, you're, you're deemed, it's a federal crime. And, you know, you, people get kicked out of that. But you could go ahead and be an alcoholic outside of work because you, no one's going to really test you for alcohol, right? Because it's going to, you piss it out. There's no way to check, but you can be an alcoholic outside of work and come into work acting fine, and it's no big deal. Yeah, and we see what the hell alcohol does. It's mm-hmm. another drug. There's withdrawals, so um, yeah, with make that, it make sense, please. Yeah, and like think about it. Like in a hospital, have you have you ever had a patient that came in for like THC overdose, THC withdrawal, marijuana withdrawal, marijuana overdose? N- never, right? Never. Never in your whole five, six nursing career. But how many alcoholic patients have you had? How many patients withdraw for alcohol? How many patients cardiac arrest? En- enough to hate them. Right. And, and it's, it's mind blowing how it's so as backwards. Like it just shows you like sometimes our government and our the regulations are as backwards. Like now with the whole COVID, like the C-19 that you mentioned with the cutting, shorten, shortening these, these quarantine days for healthcare professionals, how you're in the midst of it and yet you could be COVID positive, asymptomatic and s- still spreading gear or, or whatever, or pre-symptomatic, or you can have a little bit of symptoms. But like, because if, if you think about it, if you go into work, because back in the day, like four, three years ago, four years ago, when I had like the cold or flu and I had like a cough or a runny nose, I just, or I felt, I felt kind of like blah, but I still, okay, I still went to work. And I guarantee nurses are COVID positive as well. And they're doing the same thing. The symptoms aren't severe enough and they're still going to work. So technically they are symptomatic, but guess what? Their five days of quarantine is out. They can't afford to take any more vacation days or any more sick days. So they're coming to, to work with, with a cough, headache, fever, and chills. It's just not severe enough for them to you know, get called off as super sick, but technically they're, they're still symptomatic. Yeah. And it's wild, man. Like this whole push for this Even, whole like uh, the American COVID-19. Heart Association, how mm-hmm. they said where you shouldn't prioritize putting uh, protective PPE on, you should instead go and start CPR because that's more important where you could potentially jeopardize your own health. So 
and, um, and, it, and those are guidelines. Afterwards. Yeah, those are guidelines. But I really think the American Heart Association needs to go pound some salt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy because like no offense, the whole cardiac arrest thing. Like yeah, you're gonna maybe save that person's life, but guess what? You now you got COVID nineteen and you're affecting your coworkers. If you're working with elderly coworkers that are like almost going to retire, they're 55, 56 years old, or you go to your parents' place or your grandparents' place and you coded that guy and now you're COVID positive and now you're walking around, then what if you spread that and you end up killing three of your family members? Like why why is it not why is it not a big deal? But being unvaccinated is a really big deal. Yeah. You know, it's it's wild. It's yeah. Okay. It's all about some good. It's all about positive. I, I, I think we vented out here. Okay. You good? Yeah, we vented. Good. Like Perfect. I said, we're we'll start the good, episode. We're good to get a join in before this, you know? <laughs> so before we get into the benefits of marijuana and its potential treatments, let's kind of do a quick wrap up of SARS-CoV-2. So it, it is COVID-19 started a pandemic, which uh, led to 272 million cases worldwide. 5.3 million deaths and up to upwards of 600,000 new cases as of December of 2021. Uh, it's characterized by its like crown-like protrusion surface. It has that uh, spike protein that we um, always talked about, and it's like an RNA strand that encodes that. So it has four main structures, the spike, the, env the envelope, the membrane, and the nucleocapsid. Um, as well as uh, like 16 other non-structural protein accessory things that make up the whole virus itself. Uh, the way that it infects us humans, it basically binds to ACE2. So it has a uh, it attacks by binding to that protein, that spike protein that's on uh, most cells. And if you look at um, ACE2, too. It's like an analog of ACE and it converts to angiotensin and all that. So it's mainly in the lungs, the intestines, the heart and the kidneys, and also our alveolar epithelial type two cells. And that's why this virus affects things like the lungs and it's so prevalent there. Yeah, it's crazy because if you think about it, if they didn't have, tell you if they didn't have those ACE2 receptors in those locations, you wouldn't be able to get this, this virus if you think about it. And it's interesting to look at because like I said, it's in the alveoli. A majority of it's in the alveoli, which is why we see these this ARDS and these lung problems and people not being able to breathe. And it's also in the heart. It's why we see some myocarditis associated with with uh, C19 as well. And then the kidneys. A lot of times, after you put somebody on, on a endocarditis on the, or endocarditis, yeah. What was the other one? Or myocarditis. Myocarditis. Endocarditis is an infection from bacteria. from bacteria. Myocarditis, yeah. So because it was interesting, because like I know like a few months ago there was some research going on that. People were getting myocarditis also from, from C19, like kids were getting it, but um, I looked at some other research and it's like about the same likelihood of getting myocarditis in general compared to getting myocarditis with the vaccine. So you can't really, all, you can't always attribute it the vaccines for the myocarditis, but but it's crazy how that, that, that cascade works. And then of course the kidneys, a lot of times when people are on the ventilator for a long time, they have, they have the C19 that's, you know, running rampant through their system. Kidneys eventually get affected too. They start shutting down. We end up putting people on, on dialysis and that's eventually how people die. They, their lungs get messed up, the kidneys get messed up, and then the heart is not able to function properly and people end up, you know, um, passing away. Yeah, and the way the virus starts by infecting us, it has this S1 subunit, which is that spike protein. It binds into ACE2 and what happens is if uh, promotes the formation of endosomes, which triggers the viral infusion activity under low pH. And then bam, we have COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so what are the possible implications of cannabis and the treatment of COVID-19? So there was a study published in the Journal of Natural Products and Oregon State University, OSU, uh, research how hemp compounds are able to prevent coronavirus from entering human cells. So it actually inhibited the main protein. So it actually inhibited the spike protein from infecting the human cell, which is a critical part of uh, the, the, the disease process of this virus and how it affects people. Yeah, because like when you guys look at C19, COVID-19, um, the spike protein, you always hear on the news because that's the part that actually attaches to these cells and, and it's able to get attached to this ACE2. So if, when I was reading the study, the, the THC and the, the cannabinoid pathways or the CBD, the way it affects is it binds to these spike proteins. So the, pro so the spike protein isn't able to lock into these ACE2 um, in, the ACE2 things in like the, ep the epithelial cells of the alveoli, which is crazy. It's almost like it, 
It's almost like if you think of a spike protein, you think of a spike, you think of like like something pointy. It's almost like putting a little cork on there. And it's not able to 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 like lock onto there. Yeah, it I, had, I, I had a dirty mind right now, but it's just putting a condom on the damn spike, dude, mm. and it can't penetrate. Right, exactly. It's yeah. <laughs> one way to look at it. Um, so the the research was led by Richard Van Bre uh, Bremen. And the two compounds that were known to block the spike protein were CBGA and CBDA. And they inhibited the spike protein the same way that most of the drug therapy were trying to produce as far as like the monoclonal antibodies and et cetera. Um, so this was you know, great research and they found an abundance of different hemp extracts that actually uh, did this. Um, and as you know, this is not the same as THC, which is like the psychoactive part of marijuana that makes you hallucinate. So they extracted the hemp and this is like the non-psychoactive. Uh, and what's interesting about this is that, as you know, the efficiency of like the vaccines are not as efficient with these different strains. Uh, through Richard's research, it was equally as effective to the different variants, such as the, the one that was first detected in the United Kingdom and the variant that was detected in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Did it list on that research? I didn't go super in depth in the study. Did it say like how much uh, THC or CBD you have to use? Because if if they're gonna give have if they're gonna say that hey, there's a new variant every winter and there's a booster every winter, so a booster like once a year. I mean, I'd much rather prefer smoke. I'd be more open to smoking a joint every six months instead of getting like a booster every six months. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. all you gotta do is hit the reefer a little bit or put on some CBD cream or inhale some CBD cream, put it in like your incense. Put it in, put like a, the CB drops into like the what is that thing called that that gives you the 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 vapors, the machine. Oh, I don't know, a vaporizer. Something like a, if, it's yeah, like yeah. <laughs> right now. Perfect for THC, a vaporizer. You know what I'm talking about, guys. So you know how you got the essential oils and you put it in the little machine. Oh, diffuser. Diffuser, diffuser. Okay. So maybe you just need some CBD drops and put that bad boy in the diffuser and just. Inhale, exhale yeah. all, day, all day, you know, when you're chilling and, and that joint every six months and then you're, you're chilling. Your COVID freeze is 93, bro. Yeah. So they're not. Yeah. Uh, that research didn't um, specify show any of that because mm. what they did is they extracted literally. And I'm going to go into it right now. So like the, the way the, the research method was done. So this team, which is a new technique that was discovered, it's called Affinity Selection Mass Spectrometric. So ASIMS, it was uh, takes the natural ligaments of SARS-CoV-2. So if you're looking at this diagram and you could check out the show notes, it's literally taking the, the membrane, the S2 and the S1. So it's taking that subunit of the virus. And what this machine did, it was basically taking different, the hemp extract and checking what is the best affinity, mm. which hemp extract, because you know, like THC, marijuana has like a bunch of different mm. chemicals and all that, whatever you want to call those things. It checked what's the highest affinity. And those two, CBDA, CGBA, had the highest affinity that confirmed the block of the infection to prevent the entry of the virus to the human cell. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's interesting because this method like involved incubating the, the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. And then you kind of mix different things like with buffers and solvents to incubate it. And then they were using methods such as ultra high pressure liquid, magnetic microbeads, and chromotherapy mass spectrometry to check the affinity of these um, ligands. So mm. definitely deep, deep, heavy science uh, in order to do this. But it's an awesome discovery. And they also were able to discover that uh, lycorice, which is a herb that's in parts of Europe and Asia, it actually was able to bind to the spike protein as well. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have enough funding for research to test it on a live virus yet, whether it's going to produce the same effects. Interesting. And it's like a, it's like a food? It's like yeah, lycorice. And they, mm -hmm. they took one of the, the ingredients in it. It's called lyco. Hassalone A. So it's one of the compounds found in this uh, plant. Mm -hmm. So what I was thinking, because like if you think of food and you digest it, I don't know how that would make it bioavailable, but I'm thinking maybe they could take that compound and turn it into like an inhaled medication and then have it be inhaled by somebody that has, you know, C19 or whatever and take it in that way. That makes sense. Because like if you look at the, the cannabis or the marijuana, because you could, there's CBD that you could just smoke. A lot of people think that, you know, CBD is just the part that goes into creams and stuff, but there's CBD, the less psychoactive, the less psychoactive um, uh, marijuana you can consider CBD's it. CBD is not psychoactive. Yeah. 
So, so you can you can smoke that one and imagine it like helping you because it because you're breathing it in. So it's going directly into your lung. It's not like you're digesting it where then you gotta figure out hey if I digest it and it goes systematically, but it gets broken down by the stomach, like it's broken down by intestines. So instead of getting 100% of it, you're only getting 20%. So like smoking might be beneficial because you're going r- right to where the where the COVID-19 is. You're going right to the virus. And it, it makes complete sense. And hopefully they can do some more research on this and figure this out. And maybe they could figure out which exact, because they're they able to figure out which, which exact CBD is, is the best, right? Which, which uh, compounds mm. in marijuana, the hemp extract that had the highest affinity to the spike protein. Yeah. So maybe they could put it in like an albuterol inhaler or put it like, you know, how we give nitric oxide in a hospital. Maybe they could give it like that through the vent and you might be able to help them. Yeah. You know? And then the reality of life is that there isn't enough money involved in this and that's why there's poor funding and there's going to be a delay in mm. finding this research out. Like if, if America just said, oh my God, like there's this natural plant that could potentially be an implication for COVID. Why are we paying for all these expensive treatments? Let's mm. put some funding and find out really quick. Emergency fund granted. Here you go. Do some research. Let's be real. It's not going to happen because of the investors in, and, you know, in uh, government, if you look at our House, Senate, and representatives, where is their money? Mm-hmm. They're invested in companies like Pfizer and stuff like that. So are we going to grant stuff from the government to do research such as Oregon State University that's doing with Dr. Remen? Probably not, you know, but it's interesting to find out that, hey, there's other ways to go about this. We just have to be open to it. Right. And think about, so we're all about prevention. The vaccine was a, was a great idea. But as we've learned over these these couple of years now is that this vaccine prevention isn't, isn't permanent. So after the first year, we could have said, because we pushed a lot of money into, into these vaccines, a lot, millions, if not billions of, of, of dollars went into this, this vaccine research. So after the first year, we, we could have been like, okay, guys, we hit this heavily with, with these vaccines. We got the MRA, mRNA down, but it seems like this injection is not going to be a long-term solution because we're going to need to keep innovating and changing it up. Let's take half of that and put it into actually figuring out a treatment. Because if you think about it, there's, there is still no treatment for C19, right? So imagine if you're able to take that money and just throw in those millions and millions of, millions of dollars into like cannabis research, that food that, that you mentioned with, with, the, with the compound in it to other medication. Imagine if you put in research money into those, that kind of research, see where we could be. Because <clears throat> prevention is good, but you also have to figure out treatment because prevention isn't going to always work as we've seen with, with, with this jab. It's something that it seems like it's almost unpreventable. And if you wanted to prevent it, it's going to be something that we've got to consistently work on and keep throwing money into and, and re-innovating every six months to, to a year, right? Compared right. to if you, have, if you had a treatment, then that's, you wouldn't really need the vaccine if you think about it. And plus, imagine how much lives you would save because you would have a specific thing that, that, that treats it. We spent two years on developing a vaccine and uh, and majority, like 90% of the, of the money went into developing this, this injection. But how, many money, how much money has gone into actual treatment? Not very much. No one's really looking at that. It's all the jab, the jab, the jab. We're trying vaccine, to reinvent the wheel of things that make money instead right. of looking back at what's already there in our yeah. disposal. Yeah, like how, uh, to me, a smarter approach would have been like, hey, let's tr- figure out treatment. Then once we figure out treatment, Let's figure out prevention because just because you have a treatment for it doesn't mean everyone's always going to get it in time. But people are dying now. Let's figure out how to treat it because people are dying. And then we'll worry about figuring out how to prevent it because we're going to have more time to work with. But they want the ass backwards approach where they say prevention, 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 and they still haven't prevented it. And it's been, you know, over two years now. A couple of nurses run for office. We yeah. can't be... Uh, you can't be president. I can't be president, no. unfortunately. But we could take different forms of office. To we could be governors, right? Elect us. <laughs> we, we can't be in a house either, right? We can't be in a house or the Senate, right? We can be. We just, can? Just not sure? the government. Um, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I am I am a citizen in America. I took my test back then. Because I feel like I don't know Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's a governor of California, yeah, right? Yeah, and he's, a, he's from Austria. But he's never went to the Senate, right? Or he's ever been in a house? That I'm not sure. I know we yeah. could be governors and mayors. I just don't know about how much higher we could go. Where we got a little ceiling, you know. You could check really quick. I'm actually curious now. I could talk about some fun yeah. facts. 2024, running for <laughs> office here. We got to figure out what state though. Technically, we have nursing licenses in Hawaii, California, Illinois, and Florida and Texas. I feel like we had the best chance winning here. Yeah. 
Okay, so fun fact. Well, I don't know. Going to how the hospital is going, I don't know if we got a good chance here. <laughs> Not in Austin, maybe somewhere more south. Yeah. Uh, so as of November 2017, the World Health Organization actually said that CBD shows no abuse for dependency and its potential. There's no evidence of a public health problem associated with CBD. And as of 2018 of January, the World Health or uh, the World anti-doping agency wada actually removed cbd from the prohibited list and it's no longer banning the use of cbd amongst athletes so there you know there is some kind of good push with with things like this so uh, but let's talk about cannabis and the cytokine storm so other implications of why cannabis potentially be beneficial for the implications of covid so one of the main reasons why our patients uh, go into like ARDS and everything that happens is the cytokine storm that you hear. So it's a natural response to infection in your body releases that produces pro-inflammatory cytokines, which leads to an increase in inflammation, which actually helps your immune system fight things off better. Sometimes it's this double-edged sword where too much cytokines leads to um, the permeation of fluids into the lungs and all this other stuff that kind of causes uh, pneumonia and all that. Um, so, and cytokines are literally small proteins that are released by cells of the immune system to coordinate this inflammatory response due to infection. Um, and, you know, as you hear, sometimes too much is not good in this case, causes hyperinflammation uh, that leads to serious harm and some patients just never uh, make it out of it. And what happens is eventually, because of this whole cytokine, ARDS and all that, patients get lung fibrosis from C19, which is an untreatable condition from the scarring of our lung tissue. And it makes it more difficult for us to breathe. Like mm. sometimes we're dumping numerous amounts of O2 into these patients and they're, they're still not perfusing. They're, we're not getting good blood gases. Their PO2 is low. Uh, especially with like the ECMO patients that where they need to like heart and lung transplants. So yeah, that's the worst thing. It's just like there's constant inflammation and as inflammation is causing damage, which is leading to scar tissue. And then there's only so much you you could give without, you know, causing like a pneumor or something. It's, it's just crazy because it's like, it's a giant cascade of, of just, just, it's just a mess in the lungs, just a giant mess in the lungs. Yeah, and it doesn't help. Like we always talk about where you're already pre-diabetic because, you know, a lot of times we say there is no health history, but we don't take enough time to um, to talk about these things where it's like, hey, if they're obese and their BMI is high, they already have metabolic syndrome issues where they already have pro-inflammatory markers mm -hmm. systematic, which mm -hmm. doesn't help because it's like a B, right? If you don't have a proper signals in the body triggering uh, proper inflammation, and then you have this virus, the body just goes into overload, just starts dumping shit, and there's no communication uh, you know, it's like it's like war. It's like you're bombing your own body because the airplanes that are bombing, in this case, cytokines, they don't know where our own troops are, and we're just kind of attacking everything in this case. Right. Yeah, that, it makes me kind of giggle sometimes, like not to be a dick or anything. Don't giggle. Not, he, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I did a report though, because like you have a patient that you said has a high BMI that you can clearly see is overweight, and it says no, no medical history. It's like got a big tummy there. Yeah, like how does this guy have no medical history? He's got a high BMI, which he technically he's considered obese. He probably had, he has hypertension because I'm looking at the monitor right now and his systolic is, you know, 150s over 98. So he's already got hypertension. Just because he's not on his history doesn't mean he doesn't have it. He's, he's on blood pressure medications. You know, he, just because he wasn't on it before he came in, he's on it now. That doesn't mean that he hasn't had hypertension before. And, you know, his, his, insulin, his glucose is high. Yeah, we're giving him steroids. But that doesn't mean his sugars should be should be in the two fifties, two sixties, and he should be, and he's now he's on a high sliding scale, right? It doesn't doesn't the picture does doesn't add up. You got you got like the whole clinical picture. Like he was already in a chronic inflammatory state before he came here, and he was eating a poor diet, which means not only what was he like chronically inflamed on the on like the cardiovascular level, but his GI tract was probably inf inflamed as well, which you know the part of immune system majority of immune system is in your is, is in your gut. So if your gut's chronically inflamed, your vessels are chronically inflamed, your whole body is literally inflamed. Your heart's working harder, your kidneys are working harder, and your lungs are working hard to begin with. Now you get C19, where you have this giant inflammation that's continuous, that's that's causing you to have damaged lungs, you're just adding on to it. There's only so much so much weight your body could carry until it just says, all right, I can't handle this, handle this anymore. And yep. it's very sad. And it's hard to get the full clinical picture of like what's happening when you have a healthcare system that's 
burnt out. These physicians are even tired. And not to mention, like, for example, VARs, like the adverse side effects of vaccines that we're seeing. The way the process to submit is so, like, exhausting. How, how much of our healthcare uh, providers aren't, you know, putting these lists out to actually give us real data? Side note, though. Yeah, once again, we're not anti-vax. We've been vaccinated. It just, you look at the system as it is, and you should have the choice to do, do what you want. Because just because you don't, see something one way doesn't mean somebody else can can see can see it you know another way it's just like the beautiful thing of this country and it's just like the thing is i i had a i used to work in nursing home back in the day and i had this older patient that had a polio and she had a polio vac she was polio vaccinated and all that but, but still got polio you know so it's just just because you don't agree with it or whatever or you do agree with it doesn't mean you gotta shit on somebody else's parade just because they have a different idea of of what it is to have an opinion because these are all, all opinions still there's nothing still in fact there, there, there's a reason why that there's a reason why they make you sign a piece of paper saying that hey you can't sue anybody if you have an adverse reaction to this vaccine because them themselves aren't sure of you having your reaction because they personally don't don't know your body yeah it might it might be safe for somebody but it might not be safe for safe for somebody else like our last episode we talked about ace inhibitors they were great for white people but for some reason black people just have reactions to it and then we have another angio angio two antagonist or something like that that we mentioned i can't forgot top of my head but we, we have that available from too imagine if you just said nope ace inhibitors are ace inhibitors you gotta take it it's either you take it and risk side effects or you just have to deal with hypertension the rest of your life yep. how would you feel if we did that to, to, to that population probably you probably be like there's gotta be a different way there's gotta be a solution they should be able to take something else and that's, that's how other things are as well you know it's just it's just the whole vaccine talk is just being inflated and 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 just pushed on us. So that's why some people have a more um, more verbal or more you could say stronger view on these things is because it's it's very polar. But if you take the same idea into into different context and take it out of this whole vaccine thing, then you just, people start to have a little bit of an open mind and say, oh shit, that doesn't make sense. Yep. So we were talking about the cytokine storm in cannabis. So one of the compounds, C-sativa, it's a compound found in cannabis. It was actually found in some studies to reduce multiple cytokine pathways that are related to inflammation and fibrosis. And these two um, pathways were uh, reduced by, or I'm sorry, the two of the cytokines that C-sativa reduced were TNFA and IL-6. And you heard about IL-6 inhibitors with uh, C-19 where when they're doing the research. So they're able, actually able to block the main targets of what is producing this uh, cytokine storm. And then uh, sativa is more of the strain that produces more of like an uppity effect. Some people say that, hey, I, I smoke and I get all lazy, I get hungry, I, I get couch lock. That's because you're probably smoking an, an indica, indica downer, as our friends used to say, an indica in the couch. So maybe what if like they're also taking this C sativa and it might make you, it's going to do... It's gonna help you with the C19, the COVID, but also might make you a little bit more active, a little bit more, more, more positive, a little bit more more interactive. So it might help you, you know, move around a little bit, which will eventually help you with yeah. the, I mean, fight, I, the fight. I, the I believe in um, the power of thoughts and how mm. powerful that is. And if you could smoke something to change something, I mean, doesn't sound like a bad idea. They they also did uh, some mouse models model studies in 2020. I love those mouse models, bro. Yeah, and CB <laughs> mouse model studies. That, how, and, how much mice they got here? Do you know? Uh, I didn't check how much mice. Probably like at least 10,000, I think, dude. They breed like crazy, man. Yeah, I briefly checked and it said uh, the active compound, which is uh, CBD, was actually able to have a potential protective role in ARDS and actually could maybe potentially extend to the treatment of COVID-19 as far as reducing cytokine storm, protecting pulmonary tissue, and reestablishing inflammatory homeostasis. Mm -hmm. Not bad of a study on mouses. Um, mice. Uh, mice. Meese. Meese. Like mouse. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Boom. Magic house pop, though. Yeah, that Mickey Mouse pop house shit. Yeah, I used to watch it with my little brother, bro. Yeah, it's because you're still um, a baby, dude. So how else could cannabis benefit uh, COVID-19? So as you know, that there is people that are medical marijuana users, and they have chronic illnesses that they take it for pain relief, headaches, and there's other benefits. So there was a study in 2018 that examined uh, 2,032 medical cannabis users with a range of 21 different um, illnesses they were treating through cannabis. And it showed a significant potential reduction in pain relief, 
And the reason why there's pain relief is because cannabis actually increases serotonin as an effect, which is a neurotransmitter that uh, naturally reduces pain relief. Um, and then also, like, we could get into right now into the endocannabinoid system, which is a natural system that we have in our nervous system, both central and both peripheral, that is dis disrupted throughout the body that's involved in pain processing and inflammation. So it plays a huge role, and it's literally part of every single organ, and it's, um, it has to do with inflammation and the release of endorphins. And that's why when you could smoke marijuana, you have that uh, pain relief. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy that we have our, our own cannabinoid system in our body. So it kind of goes from like that theory where we all come from one. Well, you know, if you all come from one, and technically there's some similarity between us humans and, and, and cannabis and marijuana, and maybe that's like the the thing that we took away or the gift that we got from from cannabis before we, you know, s split paths or whatever, they gave us this, this cannabinoid system that can only be, be triggered with with CBD and with, um, you could say, marijuana products, which, which, which is which is wild. Same with like like the whole LSD thing where um, it triggers pathways that just happen to lock into LSD or not LSD because that's synthetic, I'm sorry, mushrooms. Like yeah. psilocybin, there's like path, psilocybin pathways in, in, our, in our brain. So maybe when we were... Back in the day, one with the mushrooms, maybe when we split, the, these mushrooms gave us this, this ability to be able to take this in and have these, these crazy thoughts and just these feelings. So, and, and it's just, and, and only that could produce that response because there's a literally a system in our body that's made for, for, for cannabis. to it. Yeah, there's receptors to it. So it means that at one point, for some reason, our body was using cannabis for something. Maybe not necessarily, maybe we weren't smoking it back in the day, but maybe we were eating it or, or whatever, or even smoking, that doesn't matter. But our body was almost built to this natural thing. And it's crazy how our body was almost built to, to digest psilocybin because there's psilocybin pathways in our body as well. And it's crazy how that works, man. Yeah, I mean, we are technically all consciousness and everything around us is conscious in, in a sense. So I mean, we're, we're getting into some pseudo stuff now. But yeah, it just it, it's interesting how every drug has an effect like we have receptors and anything the crazy drugs whatever it is it all has an effect like mm. caffeine all that stuff like right even, we even have natural derivatives yeah like we even have opioid receptors like our body at, at some point realized that hey these opioid receptor sites are help us deal with pain and people use opium and different opium based products back in the day back in the Zing dynasty or, or, or Chao dynasty or whatever, because opium is the, it was first found in, in China. So they used to use it for, for these, these, these pain relief and stuff like that. So we were programmed. It's almost like our body knew at some point what was in pain. So we developed this, this inhibition pathway that allowed us to take in opioids and whatever came from opioids or opium or poppy seeds or whatever you know, it naturally came from and it was able to cure our pain. And yeah. somehow naturally we were born with this. Every human has this. Yeah. And so we have, we have pain relief for morphine. And I think that's why like, I don't want to get into like government control, but like we're born into this world with like instilled values of every single religion saying there's good versus evil and already into this uh, dichotomy of duality. And then we use duality as like a tool to like control us in a way. Like there's always anti this, pro that, left, right, this, that, yes, no. Like there's only always two choices. How come there can be a third one? And I just want to stand back mm -hmm. and not think about it. But it's like, because you had this belief of good versus evil, it builds on it and then everything and that's like the transfer of energy that we're always just thinking in twos and like that's it either this or either that you you can't be you can't be the third one option you can't be nothing right you, so, can't, yeah. you can't just be and it's like if damn i lost my train of thought but it's just like like it's a kind of moderation comes in too and like you said that the whole dualism thing is like that's why it's almost like we always have to choose a side for something. Why do we always have to choose a side? Why? Like, why? Because that's so engraved in us. And I feel like it's almost like a control thing. Yeah. Because if you try to do something, if you try to lift something, do something to, to somebody, you'll meet two outcomes, a good outcome and a bad outcome. But that's not necessarily how every, every, everything is. The way you interact with, with nature, you don't always have a good or bad outcome. You just have, you know, an, an outcome. Right. If, if you water a, a plant... Um, let's just say a, a grass, you're gonna, it's gonna grow. But if you water something that doesn't need enough water and you water it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna grow. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily bad or good. It's just like you didn't know at, at that point. So it's just like you can't always be, be, be 
reliant on like a specific outcome. If that kind of makes not the best analogy or whatever, but something I'm thinking I come up with top of my head. But sometimes you gotta be okay with not being in, in control because majority of stuff in, in the world and your life you really can't control. We have this idea of like free will, but to what extent do we have free will? If you think about it on like the grander scale, because I get hit by a car you know, walking down the street tomorrow and I could do everything perfectly. And for some reason, somebody just happened to look at their phone for a second and then it hit me and, and that's it. So like how much free will do we actually have? And we have to understand that, that we're on this earth and we do have free will to do what we want with, with what we have, but that free will is only there to a certain extent because we can't predict, predict the future. We can't predict what someone else is going to do. So you have to be okay with just shit happening because free will is great, but there's it's limited. It's very limited. And I know people say that, you know, God put on, people that are really religious are, you know, God put on this earth and then it gave us free will because that's what makes us human. It does, but God also put things on this earth that you can't control either. So you have to be okay with, with, with letting go. And that just goes also with emotions. It's hand in hand. We're holistic beings. So if you can't let something go internally, well, that's going to affect you internally as well. Once you let it go, you feel better <laughs> internally. Right. I'm just laughing because I want to make a comment. I know you were saying a joint would go really well, but it sounds like you already smoked something, dude. I'm on, I'm on my own lettuce right now, dude. Yeah, I can tell, bro. Yes. Your sober brain is running rampant. Dude, that's, imagine if- that's dope that we're having this unscripted conversation about stuff like this. You know, that's why I love podcasting. Yeah, if you would hit the bong, you probably still would have been on topic number three, dude. <laughs> you know, But what's cool is, is what Matt found out is that THC is 20 times more anti-inflammatory than aspirin twice as anti-inflammatory as hydrocortisone and has been well-documented analgesic and anti-inflammatory benefits, including um, like pain and discomfort associated with arthritis and any kind of infl- inflammatory kind of diseases you, you could say. So think about it. If what aspirin does, it's not just only anti-inflammatory, but it also, um, it's, it also pain thins your blood yeah. and, a, and a pain relief. So Aspirin. So aspirin, yeah, you you have the benefit of, of pain relief and these anti-inflammatory things, but you also have the risk of, of bleeding because if you, you could be taking aspirin every, every day, you know, I know eight baby aspirin is only 81 milligrams, but, you know, some people take a lot more than that and they fall and they hit their head and they're they're bleeding out. So like you got to be careful with, with those things. And this is a pharmaceutical thing. This, this has been being created in a, in a lab. Aspirin doesn't come from, you know, a flower. It doesn't come from these things. It's, it's made in a lab. So imagine if you could... You could bring down your arthritis, if you could bring down your IBS, if you can bring down these and these inflammatory states with just you know hitting the hitting the joint a little bit, yeah, you know, and you don't have the negatives of these these like anticoagulant effects that aspirin might might give you. Yeah, in, very interesting. So just to gonna give a give a big summary of the endocannabinoid system and wrap the, that section out. So there's many receptors that the endocannabinoid system has. The primary two that we're going to cover just on the show for the sake of time is CB1 and CB2 receptors. So CB1 receptor is the most abundant G protein coupled receptor in the brain. It's abundant in both the peripheral and central nervous system. And these pre, uh, it kind of like primarily is expressed in the presynaptic uh, peripheral, uh, which is the pathways of the nervous system. And this CB1 receptor is primarily associated with that high felt um, effect from cannabis. Uh, then we have like the CB2 receptor, which is primarily in the peripheral, uh, peripheral tissues and immune cells. And that's where you have the uh, influence of the cytokine cell migration, of including neutrophils and macrophages, which has that effect of pain relief and also reducing inflammation. So it's crazy that we have these receptors throughout the whole entire body. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what else can cannabis be beneficial for uh, COVID-19 since that's like what the episode theme is about? Uh, Anxiety is a big thing for patients in the hospital, uh, both family members and especially the patients that have like this feeling of impending doom, being on a high flow at 45 liters, 100% for like a whole week, not knowing what the hell is going to happen. They feel like they're in a fishbowl. And they're just like, um, it's stressful. Mm. So it's interesting how CBD is a compound that actually shows to reduce the symptoms of stress and anxiety. The way CBD does this, it uh, first of all increases serotonin, which is the happy molecule and a pain reduction. And it also lowers uh, cortisol levels. And as you know, cortisol is that chemical that when you have high abundance of it, it's been associated with like anxiety and depression and everything. And diabetes inflammation. So imagine if we give 
patients a couple of CBD drops as just a form of stress relief in the hospital, you know, not necessarily blowing out smoke because you probably can't do that in the hospital setting. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating that we could test all these different things, but there's just um, no involvement. Um, and then a study that kind of links anxiety to CBD. So they did a double blind uh, placebo trial with CBD. And this is a smaller study. So grain of salt, as we always say, because we need larger numbers to replicate. But this is only one study they found in the numerous studies on the web. So they took uh, 37 18 to 19 year old Japanese students that had sexual, sexual, social anxiety disorder. Mind, huh? Yeah, this whole condom thing from back in the early uh -huh. episode, just replicating. And you walk straight to the bathroom after this, do it, grab the Chill, tissues, and you're going, dude. Bro. <laughs> See you guys in 10 minutes. <laughs> so we have one group, which was a placebo, had 17 people. And then there was uh, 20 people, Japanese students, taking 300 milligrams of CBD for four weeks. And the results found that CBD actually had the potential to treat uh, social anxiety disorder. Yeah, a lot of times I feel like people attribute, like, because this is CBD. I know CBD has definitely a lot of relaxing effects, but I feel like so does THC and marijuana. But people, a lot of people say that when they smoke it, they get super anxious. It's probably because you smoke it too much. You know, if you're smoking, like, you know, once a month and your tolerance is, is super low, you should probably take it easy. You probably shouldn't smoke a joint. You should probably go for, like, a bowl or someone small, someone that has a low THC count because if you smoke too much and you're not used to the effect, yeah, you're gonna be paranoid, you're gonna be freaked out, you're gonna be anxious. But in, in this case, you know, CBD is more of like the mellow thing. And also you mentioned, you said you probably can't smoke in a hospital, but if I remember correctly, back in the day, doctors usually smoke cigarettes with their, with their patients. Yeah. Well, I don't, imagine having a joint with your, well, you can't have a joint with your doctor because he, he's, he's <laughs> at work, but you can have a joint by yourself. That'd be cool because a lot of our rooms nowadays Especially in the teaching hospitals, especially in the ICU. Negative pressure room, Negative bro. pressure, yeah. So as you get, get sucked in and you're ready to go, no secondhand smoke, you know, or you're not bothering anybody. You know, I'm sure nurses aren't, aren't going to really mind if you think about it, but I mean, it's not going to happen, but yeah. Maybe just your um, granted those thoughts yeah, there. Maybe we have, we could, after we're governors or something. Oh, yeah, by the way, so Senate, if you got to be US born, but you got to be a citizen for at least nine years. So I became oh. a citizen at the age of 16. Oh, geez. Okay, I'm good to go, man. Yeah, it's you're chilling. And House Representatives is five years, five or seven. Perfect. Don't, we don't could be in the yeah. house. Yeah, so we could be in the house, and we could, maybe we could push some legislators. Maybe we could even open up a hospital that's like you know, we could call it THC or something. You know, Terragong Hospital. I think you want to open up a school first, bro. University, but we could do simultaneously. You could handle one, and I handle somebody. We could do multiple, and it's just like you know, if if marijuana in ten years has these, these benefits, maybe we could have a hospital that's like the first ever, you know, THC positive hospital where not necessarily they could smoke there, but we could do like CBD creams and, and things like that. And maybe like figure out how to do IV TH, THC therapy with vitamin C and D or something, you know? I, I don't know where this um, information is coming from, but I, I remember that they tried implanting a device that was releasing mm. like um, cannabis compounds for patients that have like... Um, fibromyalgia and all that, mm -hmm. like uncontrolled pain, and it helped as a pain reducer. Interesting. It has, a lot of stuff has been also done with, with marijuana and seizures, right? So what if they do like um, That's some another seizures? another thing, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know how they have the, those brain implants where uh, it like shocks or, or whatever the, the place when it triggers the, the, the seizure? Remember that episode? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The device? Yeah. The device, yeah. So imagine if they had like a, like a THC pump where they could give you like maybe super concentrated THC or a specific type THCA, THCB, THCC or whatever, or CBD, like an insulin pump, but it's just, it's just a derivative of, you know, some part of marijuana. Yeah, there's many benefits to cannabis. And of course, keep an open mind with... Ask your doctor. Yeah, ask your doctor or whatever. And um, we just covered one aspect of it, the potential that it has for treatments of COVID-19, as we covered in this episode. Um, a lot of fascinating research in this industry. And I... Uh, hope it grows because it's not a pharmaceutical where there's that benefit of so much like, you know, you can make money off it, but it's more genuine because mm -hmm. it's already something that exists and we could um, help people. Yeah, and you can't I, necessarily put a patent on it and, and hold that patent for, you know, 10 years or 15 years because it grows out of the ground. So how are you going to put something on, on a flower? Yeah. And I've talked to many people that had like underlying things such as bipolar or whatever, and they said they smoke or whatever it helps them so power to them you know mm -hmm. everybody has their own choice to make and if that's something they want to um do and it increases their quality of life then why take that away from them yeah i think we had an episode about it was like with depression 
and stuff or what maybe it was bipolar or, or something, uh, an episode on, on mental health where we talked about a lot of these like mental health issues like schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, anxiety and how only like 50% of those people are actually treated uh, accordingly because this medication is really, really hard to dose and really hard to figure out with a lot of adverse effects. A lot of people have found marijuana to be too beneficial. So just because like, and even like, for example, pain or whatever, or fibromyalgia or arthritis, just because a medication works for 80% of the population doesn't mean that you're just going to forget about 20%. If it, if it could, you know, if it cures 1 million people out of the 1.2 million, are we just going to let that 0.2 just be whatever? Because what if that 1 million is cured with a pharmaceutical, but that 200,000 is able to be cured by marijuana or some kind of, uh, you know, a plant or something that grows naturally, are we going to tell them no, they can't do it because, you know, it's, that's what the federal law, law states? Like, how does that make any sense? We're just dropping people off at, at our convenience, you know? It's very unfortunate. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's interesting how you mentioned this whole thing, like, we all have receptors to when there's, like, a potential positive effect for it. And, like, look at, look at the war on drugs, how it removed everything, how our own government was actually funding this and actually was controlling all this shit all along. And, like, they did the prohibition to remove alcohol. And it's like, we're humans, mm. you know? That's crazy. And the whole, whole MKUltra yeah. where they dosed those college students with, 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 with acid and they made them trip, like, and then they, they deemed it illegal after that. Well, I mean, no shit. If you give somebody a compound that makes them trip without telling them, then no shit, people are gonna do crazy shit. It's just like, they what, what, what do you expect? On. Yeah, what do you what do you expect? I'm not sure if anybody's done acid, but like if, if you have, you know how it feels. So imagine if somebody gave you that and not you're not knowing, it would change your life completely. You would be like, what the hell is going on right now? You 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 would for sure change your life, and it's very unfortunate that that happened. And and it is, is what it is. Oregon, I believe, legalized majority of drugs, so we'll see what happens over there. I feel like that's, a little bit that's where the stuff. research is from. It's from right. Oregon State University. So. Yeah, and it just shows you if there's, you can't do research if, if you can't get any funds for it. So as we see, marijuana has been, has been increasingly available and more states are legalizing it. So now we see this more research because back in the day, you know, there was like, oh, it's only negative. It's only negative. It's only negative. Then California legalized it. And it's like, oh, shit. Like research is showing the positive effects for people that have epilepsy, that have seizures, that have pain. It's like, oh, shit. You know, and then other states are legalizing it. So that opens up doors for other researchers to start investigating things in, in, in something else, in pain and bipolar and schizophrenia and IBS and all these other, other things. And it just, it, it, this is how the system works. It's a, it's a slow process, but it is what it is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, I think we should wrap this one up. Thank you guys for hanging out with us as always. And we can't give you back this time, so we appreciate that. And if you find value in this podcast, enjoy our conversation, share with your loved ones, share with your boo-boos, grandparents. Maybe they want to be, you know, figured out on the latest trends. Uh, that's what kind of grows our podcast organically. And thank you for listening, and see you on the next one. I know we can't give your time back, guys, but if you smoke a joint, it might be able to slow some time down. <laughs> so you also got that going. Peace. So.